Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Pactum. I should say, welcome back to The Pactum. Back to The Pact. It's been so long since back we've been to the together. Pactum. Episode 42. It has been a while. I was sick last week. We didn't record. We've done this for 41 weeks straight, and all of a sudden, wah, fail. Wah, Co- wah. Cosmic fail <laughs> on my part. Oh, well. We're going to do episode 42 today, and we are talking about John Owen and Trinitarianism. Yes. So that's what's yeah. on tap for today. And we're still so out of practice. I forgot to say I'm Mike Grimes, and I'm here with Pat Abendroth. Ooh, wow. Do we need to redo? I don't think we do. No, we don't. We I just think, keep rolling with it. Uh-huh. We're going to do that. Yeah. It's fine. Well, we're thankful for you, our listeners, and we're we're trusting that you hung with us for that week off and hope you enjoyed some time, 30 to 45 minutes of free time this last week. We wanted to gift to you, but we are back, and we're here to talk about John Owen we and are. the Trinity. We are, and it's going to go swimmingly, I am yes, sure. I've never said swimmingly other than earlier today, so I'm pretty excited <laughs> about that. Swimmingly. It is actually my son Owen's birthday today when Happy we're recording. Happy birthday, Owen. Yeah, and son, since this will be recorded a day before uh, or, or before you get your gift, I hope you like those earbuds. No, what are they called? AirPods. AirPods. Uh Uh-huh. He's not going to get birthday presents for the next five years. Bam. But he is going to get those. Sweet. I hope it helps his jump shot. (laughs) So what we are doing is we are working our way through this book by Carl R. Truman. It's called John Owen, Reformed Catholic Renaissance Man. This is our second installment in this series. So uh, if you're just tuning in, welcome. You can certainly benefit from this episode dealing with Trinitarianism. But if you listen to the episode before, which is episode 41, yes. it's the introduction. We did like a top 10 list of things regarding John Owen in this book. Yep, We're not recommending this book. That sounds kind of bad. That sounds terrible. But it's like 50 bucks. It's not very big. And I don't know about you, but this last chapter we read, chapter it's a tough two, read. it's difficult. Yes, very much. So it's a tough read. So we are here to be your mediators. <laughs> We just want you to be able to benefit from this book because we do like Carl Truman. Yeah. We like what he does with John Owen in addressing some important matters like the Trinity, like covenant theology and justification. Right. So that's kind of where we're headed. Yeah. And uh, we're doing the heavy lifting for you yeah. if you're not into heavy lifting. Yeah. And we like we mentioned in episode 41, this is not intended to be a biography. These episodes are not to be a... A biographical sketch of John Owen. So if you would like a biography on John Owen, we'd recommend to you Crawford Gribben uh, has an introduction to John Owen. It's about 150 pages or so. So you could pick that up if you're looking for a good biography on him. But if you don't know anything about John Owen, John Owen is an Englishman. He is a Puritan. So think 1616 to 1683, a significant heavy lifter, prolific author, a sound Christian mind, scholar, theologian, and a lot of people really like John Owen, but he's tough going at times. Yeah. And so we're, we're liking Owen, and we're going to try to make him less tough going via Carl Truman to us. Yes. So we are thrice removed thrice or something removed. like that. <laughs> now, I do have a confession, not a confession, but a retraction. Uh-oh. Yeah, because last week, I think I said in the last episode, I think I said that he wore these high boots up, you know, these high fancy boots. Yeah. Not to mention all the powder in his hair. He was a dandy, as we said. Yes, yes, yeah. And I think I said they were imported from Italy, and I think they actually are Spanish. I know, but I'm sure he would have liked Gucci if he could have experienced Italian, but they probably were Spanish. (laughs) So our first ever retraction from a previous previous episode. I, I think so. And I think I can make up for it with street cred because, Mike, I want you to know and I want the Pactum verse to know that, in fact, I have met John Owen. 
You have? I have. No way. Strange, strange things happen in Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> I want you to know that. We were at a conference one time there, the elders of Omaha Bible Church and some leaders, and we had a break during the conference or during one of the sessions, and so we had to get some quick food. I went across the street from the conference center, and you know how people still have their medallions oh, on? Oh, yeah. yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And so I think we went to Chipotle. It's so funny when people can't say Chipotle. (laughs) So I think we went to Chipotle because we were thinking outside of the bun. And there in line, I saw on the name tag, John Owen. No. Uh uh Uh-huh. Did you get a picture with him? I did, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Did you ask for his autograph? I had to talk to the guy. (laughs) And I think, if I recall correctly, he was... um, his his actual name was a name I couldn't pronounce. Uh, he was from a different country, hmm. and he said John Owen is my Christian name. Oh, which is a which is a dandy Christian a dandy. name. That's a dandy, a dandy, of dandy a Christian name to choose. Yep. A dandy. I didn't look for the picture, but I'm I think I had my picture taken with him, and we got a good laugh, and it made sense to him. So That's if fun. you if you want to know any if I say anything else wrong, just know that at least I've met. The at guy. least you've met the guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, on today's episode, as we mentioned, we're working our way through Carl R. Truman's book, Reformed Catholic Renaissance Man. And we're looking specifically at chapter two this week, the knowledge of the Trinitarian God. And we do want to mention that you want to stay tuned uh, in this episode, as we know our listeners listen all the way through. They never tune out. Uh, But stay tuned, and we'll be talking at uh, some point in this episode on the Trinity crisis of today's evangelicalism. Maybe Mike Grimes will name names, because I'm I'm not that kind of person. I will. I'll do it. Okay. I'll but draw that short straw. In all seriousness, the, the Trini- there is a Trinity crisis today, and yeah. there are evangelical theologians uh, who are celebrities, some of them, and some of them actually aren't very orthodox in their doctrine mm. of the Trinity, Mm-mm. So, but everybody seems to like it anyway. Yeah, but we'll get there in the episode. What we want to do is we want to talk about a few things that really stand out about Owen and the Trinity. John Owen and the Trinity. And one of the things that really stands out from the get-go is that Owen avoided Biblicism in his Trinitarianism. And so maybe we've we've talked about Biblicism here on the Pactum. You can look back at episode one, which I tell you, if you listen to our first episodes, the flavor maybe has changed a little bit (laughs) uh, on the Pactum. However... Do you think? Yes. I listened to episode one the other day, and it was pretty... uh... I, the content was good. It's the good content. You may, we, we just haven't figured it out yet. It's true. Yeah. Yep. So, but we've talked about Biblicism here on the Pactum, and uh, Owen avoided Biblicism as it relates to the Trinity and other matters. Maybe, Pat, talk a little bit about what it is for those who don't want to go back and listen to our dry, slow episode. It was very one. serene. <laughs> Truman helps us by by pointing out the fact when he's talking about Owen not being a biblicist that he purposely lacked originality. Yeah, I thought that was great. Yep, he's going out of his way to not be original. He's going out of his way to sound historic, to not commit what one person called chronological snobbery. <laughs> Just sounds awesome, <laughs> it does. right? So when I think of biblicism, I think of people using slogans today like no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible, never mind the fact that some of the things that they say might be heretical mm. uh, because even her- heretics use Bible verses. Yeah, A biblicist would be someone who wants to ignore church history, wants to ignore doctrinal development, wants to ignore those who've gone before them, wants to ignore extra biblical words and categories to describe biblical realities. Yeah. 
So he definitely is going, Owen goes out of his way to not be a biblicist. Mm. So maybe to put it a little bit differently, he is going out of his way to sound like Christians who've gone before him, Mm -hmm. to use the categories that are already well-worn paths, to not be afraid to quote other Christians who've gone before him, Uh, in particular as he's refuting those who were false teachers in his day or those who were false teachers in close proximity to his day. So in particular, let's talk about how Owen opposes a group called the Socinians. Right, yeah. The Socinians were someone that Owen opposed, and you see that in his writings. Uh, The Socinians were a radical Protestant heresy that was in the 16th century, for those who don't know. Socinianism is the heresy. Yes. Okay. Yes. Did I say Socinians? I I think you did. Okay, maybe we should do that. I think Socinians would be a heresy also, (laughs) but Socinianism is the heresy. If you're a Socinian, you're a heretic. So we have an uncle-nephew team. Yes. I just think I would kind of like to have the name, though, Faustus. Faustus Socinius. Yeah. It's kind of... Kind of sounds cool. It does sound very cool. Tough. Faustus Socinius. I, I actually might name my next dog Faustus. Faustus. I'm not sure it's going to be Darby or Faustus. If it's a bad dog, it's going to be Darby. If it's a good dog, it's going to be Faustus. <laughs> Faustus, sit. Faustus. Get over here, Faustus. That could be a lot. That's a lot of Faustus. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. But so, 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 Socinianism so, so, so. is the Protestant heresy. Yes. And they denied the Trinity. Uh, they denied original oh, sin. A whole bunch of other the things. The deity of Christ, his yeah. substitutionary atonement, and on and on the list goes. Yep. But definitely, definitely we're focusing on the Trinitarian side of things. Right. Truman says this, the Socinians urged a literal and over time increasingly rational biblicism, mm-hmm. which had little or no place for the collective wisdom of the church through the ages and which exhibited a strong anti-metaphysical tendency lethal to classic Christian theism. Mm. So given to being overly literal, um, increasingly rational, lots of Bible verses quoted, but not in a a good sense. Uh, He says, isolated from context and from any notion of the analogy of faith. What's what's the analogy of faith? So scripture, interpreting scripture uh, in light of other texts. So promoting lots of different heretical doctrines all in the name of the Bible. Uh, and so biblicism is bad. Owen is against biblicism. Yeah. So another thing that the Socinians taught, and not Socinianisms, right. but the Socinians <laughs> taught, they taught things like the son, the son meaning Jesus, Jesus yep. that he was uh, eternally subordinate to the father. His very essence was one of submission. Mm. And that's before the incarnation, mm. which is a heresy, according to Owen. And that's important because we are going to talk about people who promote that kind of heresy today. Right. But yep. we're going to do that later. Yeah, we'll come back to that. that special time later in our episode. Yeah. Yeah. One, the drum that Truman is beating in this chapter is the fact that Owen not a biblicist, does not have a problem. In fact, he thinks it's important to draw upon the paths that are already well-worn. Yeah. So he's not afraid to go to Thomas Aquinas if he needs to go to Thomas Aquinas or someone else who's already thought through some of these issues. And it doesn't make, as Truman says, it doesn't make John Owen sub-Protestant. Sure, yeah. Uh, He is wanting to be Catholic. Catholic, yeah. He's wanting to be universal, lowercase c. And so he's not so prideful or so arrogant as to say, I'm just going to make this up, me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's it's 
to acknowledge he's not the first Christian, he's not the first person to have thought about these things, dealt with these things. Truman even says, the Reformed build positively upon the patristic and medieval traditions at hand in order to understand God. So he's he's understanding that there are those who have gone before that have written about these things, have dealt with these things, and he's going to go out of his way to not be novel as he addresses it as well. Yes, and complementing that reality, Truman goes out of his way to point out the fact that John Owen wasn't some sort of mere philosopher Mm. or rationalist who was a great talker, great thinker, but he didn't deal with the text of Scripture. Sure, yeah. That wasn't the case at all. As a matter of fact, just look at his, you know, Hebrews commentary, which is seven volumes. The guy's an exegete. The guy deals with the text of Scripture in original languages. So it's not that he's not committed to the text of scripture he is but he also is committed to paying attention to the mistakes controversies doctrinal development that have that's gone before him right so i think we can learn from that i'm grateful that truman is banging that drum and pointing that out because owen's a great example to the rest of us in that sense right yep so another thing that really stands out uh in this chapter here, thinking about Owen and the Trinity, is that Owen upheld divine simplicity. So it's pretty easy to understand the doctrine of God? No. (laughs) That's not what he means by (laughs) simplicity. That's not what we mean when we say simplicity. No, No. it's not. But it is something that we don't talk about very much in evangelicalism, uh, in today's modern Christianity or current Christianity. But when we see John Owen opposing the complexity of God, if you will, sure, yeah. uh, he's making the point that God is not made up of parts. Yep. God is not a composite being, to quote Truman. But Owen definitely saw this as one of the Socinian problems. So when we're talking about simplicity, we're saying it's not uh, that God is a composite being. You know, it makes me think, and sometimes it might be a struggle for us to understand this, uh, I think about God and his uh, numerous attributes. You know, how, how does simplicity relate to those numerous attributes of God when we say he's simple? Carl Truman answers that question by saying the Reformed regarded distinctions between the attributes as formal, not real, and as reflecting necessary linguistic conventions. Mm. This is a mouthful, but let's think about this. Reflecting necessary linguistic conventions that allow finite people like us, Mm -hmm. complex human beings to speak of God. Mm. So I think that's worth thinking about. He's being careful in his verbiage, and we have to realize that we we have these linguistic conventions because we're trying. We have a we have the Creator, and we're creatures, and we're trying to understand who God is. And so we do talk about His attributes. Some theologians have said, well, maybe we should talk about His perfections, Hmm. because it's not just that God is loving and God is all of these other things. Even Scripture helps us here. God is love. Right. Right. And so God is simple because God is not made up of parts. God can't be taken apart. He can't be destructed. God simply is. Yeah, yeah. And maybe what we can do to help out here a little bit, because this is something I think that we've lost sight of, because oftentimes we don't stop to think carefully, thoughtfully about the doctrine of God. I'll be at the front of that line, though I'm trying. So we can turn to a different book that I know Truman likes because he endorses uh, <laughs> books by Matthew Barrett. Yep, yep. And in our day, Matthew Barrett is someone that we think God has raised up to help us think in terms of who God is in a profound, 
good, rich, orthodox Christian way. Right. But it's a, but he's accessible. Right. Yeah. He talks about things like DeLoreans and going in time machines and things like that. So I appreciate him. That's why we had him here not too long ago. Right. But here's a great quotation from Matthew Barrett's book, Simply Trinity. And it's from the index. Hmm. Mike, the index the in index. the back. The index in the back is worth the book. <laughs> I just looked up simplicity and here's the definition. God is not made up of parts. He is not composite or a compounded being. He is his attributes. Mm, he simply is. Yeah. That's uh, that's uh, something that's beyond my comprehension. Right. Yeah. But he is his attributes. And in my mind, I'm thinking God is love. Mm. He's not made up of love or partially love. Barrett goes on to say his essence is his attributes and his attributes, his essence. All that is God, excuse me, all that is in God simply is God, right? Because my head exploded. Sound effects uh-huh. over there man. coming from the man. I like that. <laughs> so that's from Simply Trinity. Then from his other book uh, in the same vein called None Greater, Barrett says this, simplicity may be a new concept to your theological vocabulary. Okay. Put your hand up, everybody. Yeah. Okay. But it is one that has been affirmed by the majority of our Christian forebearers over the past 2000 years of church history. Augustine says, and people with letters behind their name tend to say Augustine, not Augustine. So I'm going to try to fit in and sound smart, even though I'm not. (laughs) So Augustine says, God has no properties, but is pure essence. They neither differ from his essence, nor do they differ materially from each other. And again, hard to get my head around that, but I'm just giving you another quotation so we know that it's not just Matthew Barrett, some guy from Missouri. Right. Uh, Stephen Charnock also, who wrote that tome of a book on the attributes of God, so big, mine's in two volumes. I'm not sure if yours is or not. God is the most simple being. Hmm. I like that too, because I don't think of God as simple because God is complex to understand. Right, right. But he is who he is. He is simple. And Charnock even says he's the most simple being. Yeah. And when you say you don't think of the word simple when you think of God, it's... It's hard because it challenges and makes me think that I'm I'm downplaying who he is and it's oh he's simple it's easy it's but that's not at all what we're getting at here with the simplicity of God. Nope, not at all. And so if this strikes you maybe as new, odd, intriguing, I would recommend the book None Greater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that book is the book by Matthew Barrett. People here at Omaha Bible Church found it quite helpful. Yep. We've used it for we've used it for different study groups. Uh, it's an excellent book and start with the index. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Pactum listeners, we are rolling. We're going to talk about another area that stands out to us in this book. And we just took a little break. We pushed pause so that Mike Grimes could tell me that I was dragging a little bit. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh, I've been little, sick. A, friend, so. a little friendly nudge. I, 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 I don't like you using the word nudge in my presence. <laughs> Random. So there is another area that stands out in this chapter on the Trinity. This is episode 42. We're dealing with John Owen and Trinitarianism. Yes. And in this chapter, he also points out the fact that John Owen was someone who was passionate to reject, to reject divine passions. Yes. So here we said that God is not complex. We said that God is simple. The next thing we're trying to tell you via John Owen, via Carl Carl Truman, Truman. thrice removed, (laughs) is that John Owen rejected God having passions. What in the world is that about? What in the world is that about? Yes. God God does not have passions? How, How could God not have passions? 
maybe think Pactum verse listeners, if this is new to you, think in terms of God not having passions. Think of, think in terms of God being angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if God is angry one moment and then the next moment he's happy hmm. because he has passions, in other words, which God is better? Ah. Uh-huh. And it seems like God changes now. Right. And yet even the Bible explicitly teaches that God doesn't change. Right. Yeah. He's immutable. So here we have this seeming problem when we say, well, God, you know, has these passions and one minute he's happy and one minute he's not happy and one minute he's sad and one minute he's not sad and, and round and round it goes. And theologians have thoughtfully said, God doesn't have passions. Hmm. So this is hard. We have, we say things like, hmm, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> This is hard. Hmm. It kind of looks like he does, but what about the fact that I don't change? Right. Hmm. Yeah. We we say hmm. hmm. How, how about that quote from yeah, Truman yeah. to get Truman us going? help us out here? A prescient or all-knowing God cannot be a God who repents or fears in the human sense of the word, but such emotions in mortals are associated with lack of knowledge and lack of control of the future. This then requires that we understand such biblical language in terms of divine condescension to human capacity and not in some univocal. <laughs> <laughs> Not in some univocal way. That's right. It does say univocal. So a lot of multisyllabic words yeah. like condescension. Yeah. So like we were talking about earlier, God condescending in a way that we might be able to have some sort of beginning to understanding who God is. And that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Condescension is helpful when it comes to speaking and talking about theology. We're talking about God creator, creature, distinction. I think it was John Calvin who said he talks baby talk. Hmm so that we might comprehend something yeah. about who he is. Yeah. And you use that word univocal. Yeah. That, that's a, that word always kind of gets me. It's actually an important word when it comes to theology and theology proper. So if you just heard there quoting Truman, uh, Mike said that not in some univocal way. Well, mm-hmm. univocal, according to none greater. Mm. How about that? In the index, index, uh huh. <laughs> something has the same identical meaning as something else. Hmm. So God uses our language so that we might understand who He is, hmm. but we're never going to fully understand who He is because of the distinction g- given who He is and who we are, creator creature. But there is condescension. So we do, we don't hear of God in a univocal way. It's not identical. Barrett goes on to say in that index describing univocal, if applied to knowledge of God, this would mean we can know God as he is in himself, Mm. uh, in his essence. We would know something just as God knows it. Hmm. And then he ends it out by saying classic theism rejects univocal knowledge of an infinite God. Hmm. Yeah. So here we are not being biblicists because we're learning some of these words that are philosophical words, that are words that help us with categories so that we can make sense of all of Scripture, the Scripture that teaches God knows everything uh, and God doesn't change, and yet it looks like he changes. And the Bible says he repents. So if you're a biblicist, now all of a sudden you've got a pretty wacky view of God because the God who doesn't change changes. Yeah, yep. So what we're trying to do is categorize all of these things, and we're categorizing them with the help, with the categories of those who've gone before us. Right, yeah. So we're big on creeds and confessions, not because they have the ultimate authority. The Bible alone is God's inerrant word, 
but we want to pay attention to things like creeds and confessions because they've thought through some of the issues. Right. Yep. And maybe those groups of godly people are better at figuring it out than me alone. Right. Yep. And or, you can you can see how biblicism would lead you into these situations because if it's you and your Bible sitting there and you're reading and you see that God repented or God changed his mind uh, or was sorry for what he had done. There you go. And you, you, yep. you are going to end up in a dangerous place. <laughs> and you can look it up in Greek, and in Greek, me, repent means repent. Repent, yeah. Well, surely it means something. I can look that up and, oh, no, my word study. Uh-huh, and we're going to take the Bible literally, and when in fact, no, you'd better be really, really, really careful yeah. about taking the Bible literally when we're talking about God doing things like repenting. Yeah. And that's why it's important then to understand there are others who have gone before us who have dealt with these issues in helpful ways that we can look to them for help in understanding. Absolutely. Yep. And they can give us multi-syllabic words like the next one we're going to use when it comes to understanding God. Ready for this one? Pactum verse? Anthropopathic. Anthropopathic. Yep. Now you, thankfully you don't have to know that word to escape purgatory. That's because there, because there's no such thing as purgatory, <laughs> but you don't have to know that word in order to be a Christian, but we're trying to grow and learn and deal with the deep things of the simple God yep. who does not have passions. Right. So anthropopathic, thank you, Matthew Barrett, for helping us again in none greater in the index refers to the use of human emotions mm. and passions to describe God. Hmm. This language is not meant to be taken literally, but is figurative. Right. Aha. So God doesn't suffer. God doesn't have emotions like we have emotions, but he's talking baby talk so that we might understand something about who he is as he would relate to the world that we're a part of. Right. Yeah. I think I just said the right thing and I'm not committing heresy, but it doesn't take much to be a heretic. So it's true. Hey, now, my get out of jail free card is uh, theology jail as I met John Owen. There you go. Yeah. Now, when you said that, I thought a question some of our listeners might have, and I would have sometimes, uh, is you said God doesn't suffer. What about Jesus? Oh, I thought he suffered. No, nah, this is so good, Mike. Mike, I, you've been paying attention. I'm, I'm you've trying. You've been reading John Owen. I'm trying. How do we deal with that? So that brings us to the matter of none other than the hypostatic union, Ooh. and we're dealing now with the one who is the incarnate son. Mm. So he becomes one of us, and yes, indeed, he suffers, but now if, in light of what we've been learning, you could start dealing with the question of, well, does, God, does, does Jesus suffer as God? Mm. And, and what, how, how could that possibly be, given what we know to be true about God? Right, right. Oh, or does he suffer as a human being. Human, yeah. So hypostatic union. Hey Siri, what's the hypostatic union? Hypostatic union is a technical term in Christian theology employed in mainstream Christology to describe the union of Christ's humanity and divinity in one hypostasis or individual existence. Would you like to hear more? No, you've done a wonderful job. Hey Mike, I'm having a great time talking about these things. They're important. I like talking about them. I could do it all day long, but um uh I gotta pick my kid up from school pretty soon. Uh-oh, so let's cut let's, let's cut to the chase <laughs> and let's talk about today why these issues are important today. In fact, how do we even know they're important today? Because we don't have Socinians. Right. Uh, they're yeah. all gone. So yeah. uh, h- how would we know that this actually is an important matter? Well, we're talking about who God is, so it's obviously at the top of the list of important matters that Christians need to be concerned with, right? Oh, when it comes... So we have to know God to worship Him, <laughs> yeah, right? Things yeah. like that. We have to know yeah. God to understand the gospel. And to know Him the rightly. Of the Son. Yeah, uh-huh. Not God as we would want Him to be, or our little God in the box. 
So maybe something our listeners might be thinking as we're talking about this and saying, well, of course, I'm going to be concerned with who God is, who's revealed himself to be. Some might give a little pushback and say, aren't you making a little mountain out of a molehill here? Is it, is it really that big of a deal? It, is it a tempest in a teapot? A tempest like to in say? a teapot. Yeah. Well, Mike, I think we get a sense of how important this is in our day because there are people in our day, big name, celebrity, evangelical, supposedly reformed Christians who have views of God and promote views of God that are not orthodox. They're not John Owen approved. Mm, yep. Um, and so it definitely is a problem. And if you don't think it's a problem, uh, we'll put a link to the to the interview in our show notes. But you should hear R.C. Sproul talk about this matter yeah. when he's interviewed by Stephen Nichols. They're talking about a book that R.C. was sent and R.C. was thrilled about by James Dolzell uh, called All That Is In God. Uh, James has also written a book called God Without Parts. But he names names and calls out evangelical theologians and leaders and bigwigs um, for, for teaching things that are heretical, things yeah. that are not biblical. And yet we somehow have bought in. We, we Christians, we pastors, I'm, I put, I'll put my hand up. I've been guilty of following some of these errant views of God, that God has passions, that God is not simple or some other kind of strange Socinian like doctrine, like the son in eternity submits to the father. And it's vital to Trinitarianism that you have submission. Yeah. Uh, I've affirmed those things before because I was taught those things. Uh, and people like Dolzell and others point out Matthew Barrett, Carl Truman, that these things are not biblical. These things right. are not right. They're not classic Christian doctrines. Uh, they're aberrant sub-Christian doctrines that are harmful, harmful to worship, harmful to our understanding of Christ, harmful to our understanding of redemption. So we'll put a link to that interview. I think it's a good starter place because RC is so well-respected sure, yeah. uh, and really kind of level-headed, uh, not kind of, as a matter of fact. Truman also weighs in on this matter, not only in our book that we're going through, uh, but here, here's what he says in another place. He says, recent years have revealed that while evangelical Protestantism has done good work in defending a sound doctrine of scripture, it has badly neglected the doctrine of God and at many points wandered away from classical Nicene orthodoxy. Think of the Nicene Creed. Yep, yep. Okay. And then he goes on to say, under the influence of a blunt, historically ill-informed biblicism. Hmm. So we've already talked about what that is. Uh, we can prove anything with the Bible, and we have our verse, and we take it literally in a bad sense, not paying attention to the whole. Then Truman goes on to say, there is thankfully a renewed interest in classical theism among Protestant theologians, but the discussion often seems rarefied to the point where many Christians are confused as to why it's important and what is at stake for the church. And then he goes on to talk about why this matter is so important that we get back to understanding classic Christian Orthodox doctrine of God. We call it theology proper. Yep. Yep. Uh, so good to hear that from Truman. Uh, we can also hear it from other places. Uh, but Matthew Baird is someone that we had here not long ago. We did episode 39 with Matthew. Yep. And if you wait to the end of the interview, we start touching on some of these things. Sure. Yep. So it's important today. Barrett talks about why it's important, uh, but he is pretty gentlemanly. Is that a yeah. word? Yeah. Yes. Uh, in the interview. So yes. he doesn't really name names. Yeah. He just talks about the problem. But sometimes it's important. And in his book on the Trinity called Simply Trinity, in chapter eight, he definitely names names when he goes after people like Bruce Ware. Right. We've had Bruce Ware speak here years ago. Yep. 
uh, professor at Southern Seminary, and also Wayne Grudem, yep. uh, whose books we've benefited from in different ways on different topics before. But Barrett does a good job showing again and again and again and again they're promoting a doctrine of God that is not classic Christian orthodoxy. Right. Yep. And if you're in the Twitterverse and in the Twitter world or whatever you want to call it, uh, one of the names... <laughs> the, the, the dumpster fire that is... Yeah, the dumpster fire of Twitter. One of the names that you may be familiar with as it relates to these matters is the name Owen. Oh, not John Owen. Not John Owen. Yeah, but Owen Strand. Right. Yeah. Yep. Who is Bruce Ware's son-in-law, I yes. think. Yep. Yep. And uh, he's definitely dug his heels in where you have the son needing to submit to the father. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about incarnation. We, right, we right, would affirm right. that. Yeah, Classic yeah. Christian orthodoxy would have him submitting in the incarnation, uh, but not as the second person of the Godhead, uh, not as the son. And, and he's going to say that we don't have Trinity if we don't have submission, in yeah. essence. In essence, that's what all of these guys are saying. And I'm painting with a broad brush. Right, right. But you have this kind of eternal submission thing, which is shown to be problematic again and again and again. But Barrett does a fine job in that book uh, exposing some of this bad thinking. Yeah. Uh, we'll put another link to an article that Carl Truman does uh, that where he talks about this very thing and what a problem it is yep. and how we'd better do something about it and not give all of these quote unquote celebrities a free pass on their aberrant doctrine of God, because it's going to end up putting us in, putting us in a bad spot. Yeah. And now maybe to help the listeners just a little bit, if you're hearing us say these things, and you're like, what in the world are they even talking about? Are we saying here that if these uh, people that we've named are having this unorthodox view of God and their doctrine of God. What they're doing is uh, speaking specifically about Jesus as the eternal son. Are they making him a lesser God than God the Father? Is that what we're getting at when you're saying that there's submission? So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. Historically, from what I've been told, because I'm not that old, <laughs> uh, but what has happened is you have, in defending the deity of the son, mm-hmm. He is very God of very God. There is absolute equality Mm -hmm. and there is no submission in the Godhead Mm. because you don't have any kind of lesser. Right. Um, They're they're fully equal. So begotten, not made, even that verbiage that's used that we're not really getting into on this episode. It's stressing Nicene orthodoxy, stressing against the heretics that he's not a lesser being who is divine in a different sense. Um, no, the Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, but there is no submitting because now all of a sudden we have some, in some way, shape, or form, there's something lesser going on. Right, yeah. And yet, here's a quotation uh, from Owen, not John Owen. There is no Holy Trinity without the order of authority and submission. And as one of my friends says, this is not the ecumenical faith. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's because we're historically ignorant or we're ignorant of historical theology. Uh, but what really we end up being, we're biblicists. Right. And we can try to prove things because Jesus definitely submitted. Well, yeah, Jesus submitted. Now we're in incarnational categories. Right. Yeah. Uh, as mediator, we're, we're talking about a different animal altogether. And I shouldn't say animal. Yeah. So one of the reasons why we're dealing with John Owen and reading this book by Carl Truman is because we do want to learn from someone who fought battles over significant things like the most significant thing, 
Yeah. Like who is God? Who is God? How yeah. do we love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength if we don't know who he is? Right. How do we worship Jesus if Jesus is somehow less worthy than the father? Right. Uh, because that's, that's the road this ends up taking people, yep. which, which is horrific. I mean, this is, this is really bad. And, and sometimes these teachers get a free pass because they're good on other issues Sure. Yeah. or we like them on other, other issues. Okay, fine and good, but let's call them out if they're teaching heretical things about about, in a sense, the most important thing. Right, yeah. You know, when I have conversations with people and I talk to, let's say, Mormons, for example, mm, yeah. and they talk about grace and they talk about Jesus and they talk about all of these other things, yeah. okay, fine and good, and I think they mean different things with those words than I do, Right. Yeah. but I have to come, what I end up doing is I, I call them out for their doctrine of God. Yeah. Because they don't believe in the orthodox doctrine of God, and so we don't have any... I, I kind of don't care about whether or not they're with me on other issues right? Yeah, theologically, yeah. Yeah. because there might be some things. Well, if we don't have God right, we don't have anything right. Yeah. So why are we going, why are we going to, to wink and give a free pass to someone who denies Nicene orthodoxy because they're good on social issues right. or yeah. some other kind of thing? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And people like Carl Truman, who've stood up and talked about this, uh, are seen as just grumpy or something like that, which is not very helpful. He yeah. says this. He says this. And when in 30 years time, Arianism, mm. right? Yeah. Definitely heretical, is rampant among young evangelicals and the usual suspects are licensed by the powers that be courageously to lament the fact that nobody saw it coming and then to offer sage advice on how to handle it. Please remember, folks, once again, you heard it here first. Yes, you did. You really did. <laughs> well, I think that's Truman, maybe Truman a little bit tongue in cheek, a little bit exasperated by saying, well, this isn't really a big deal. Right. Why are you being divisive? Yeah. Why are you being cantankerous? Don't you know these guys are with us on other issues? Why is this a time to be critical? You know, after all, it's only the doctrine of God. Right. Yeah. So these, these matters really do matter. I do want to end by saying these are things that I've, I've had wrong. I've not understood. I signed up for biblical manhood and womanhood, and they taught eternal submission of the son. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you have to have women submitting to men. And I'm all for biblical roles. Yeah. But it's not because the son in eternity submits to the father. Right. That's heresy. Right. Yep. And, but I didn't know that. Yeah. And I was even a pastor not knowing that. And I yeah. went to a seminary not knowing that. But here's the thing. We, we have, to come, have to have that come to Jesus moment. <laughs> And say, I was wrong. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but I was wrong. And it's time to move on and try to help people to not be wrong. But we do have to admit that we're wrong when we're wrong. So a burden that we have for you, Pactum listeners, is not that you would want to wage war against everyone who has any difference uh, theologically than you. Right. We, don't, we don't want to be those kinds of people. We, yeah. don't, we don't want to be the fighting fundamentalists. But there are some things that need to be fought for. Yep. And we need to be brave for and yes we've got all kinds of social issues to deal with in our culture that make life hard but the most important thing is the most important thing right uh, paul didn't side with the judaizers different kind of heresy right right but he didn't side with the judaizers uh, because they were pro-life uh, yeah <laughs> because they were conservative because they liked family family values right they, they did all of those right things. yeah yeah uh, they weren't atheists they did all of those things and yet when the gospel was at stake 
um, he stood up to them uh, bravely and said, they're different than me and I'm not with them and there needs to be repentance. Yeah. And we seem, we, we want to have the same kind of spirit and the same kind of attitude. Yeah. We're not scholars. We don't pretend to be, we don't even play scholars on the podcast. No, we don't. Um, <laughs> what we do know is when we learn things, we get excited about them and we want to try to help you do the same. So if you need resources, we'll have some good resources in the show notes. Yes. We'll put those up there. Yep. Yep. So you can check those out. There's all kinds of information that will be helpful. I would strongly recommend that you read those two books by Matthew Barrett if you want an introduction to this topic. Yep. Not that he knows all things about all things, uh, but he puts things in layperson terms, yep. laypeople terms, yep. whichever one that is. Yep. And he does so as a gentleman. Yes, yeah. So none greater, simply Trinity. We'll make sure to put links to those and the other things that we have referenced here on the podcast today. We're thankful for each of you, our listeners. Thanks for sticking with us, even though we took a week off. And we'll be back next week to continue our Owen series where we will be talking about about John Owen and Covenants. So make sure to tune in next week. As always, you can find us on Twitter at The Pactum, on Instagram at The Pactum Theology. We'll see you here next time on The Pactum.